We're live. Welcome back, everyone. So we've got Altair from Unsheath. This is a project I've been following um, extremely closely. Um, and we wanted to just kind of bring you guys on just to get some information straight from the source because there's a lot to unpack here, um, not just with what's already released, but um, into the near future, I think there's going to be some big developments. And it's such a hot top topic narrative as well that you guys are, are building in, in that specific um, area of the industry. Um, but first, so how are you doing? Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. So um, I'd just like to kind of set the scene and maybe we can just kind of start high level. I'm pretty sure people will have kind of heard of you that if they're still sticking around now, they, they should have. <laughs> it's one of the most promising projects in, in my opinion that's just coming onto the market recently. But can you can you kind of give us a high level of what you guys are building at, at Unsheath? Sure, yeah. So Unsheath is a protocol sort of um, built around the uh, idea of furthering validator decentralization. Uh, we have basically two products. Uh, the first is an Omnichain index of liquid stake ETH. Uh, and that's basically a drop-in replacement for um, Stake ETH. It's available on multiple chains. Uh, it provides a blended um, sort of Stake ETH yield from a number of different sources. It has risk controls in place to prevent sort of the risk of any single validator failing. Um, on the protocol-facing side, Unsheath also doubles as a liquidity marketplace for uh, LSDs, meaning it's uh, an extremely capital efficient way for uh, LSDs to basically uh, create liquidity for their uh, LSDs. Uh, and yeah, we started in, um, in February uh, when we went live on the Ethereum mainnet. Um, we have since launched on... Uh, BNB chain and uh, Arbitrum as well, uh, and have expanded our initial offering to um, include an internal AMM within the Unsheath basket. Uh, and we've also added to our basket um, Anchor ETH and Swell ETH. So now there are a total of uh, six LSDs um, making up Unsheath. Nice. So, um, so what what does the kind of user journey look like when they, when they land on the app? Let's say I've got some some ETH. I'm not necessarily sure where I want to kind of put it to work. Can I directly just go through you guys just to gain exposure to maybe Unsheath ETH? And what's what am I gaining exposure to the if I'm if I'm just directly minting uh, Unsheath ETH? If that makes sense. Yeah, good question. So when you go on the website, um, there's a deposit page and um, you can deposit LSDs, but typically users just bring their, their ETH into the protocol. Um, when you deposit Unsheath, what happens under the hood is whichever asset that Unsheath is the most underweight in, uh, that asset gets minted, right? So that could be uh, Anchor ETH, that could be Swell ETH, that could be um, another LSD. And so that new ETH basically goes into, um, you know, rebalancing Unsheath 
uh, if you will. Uh, and then the user get back the proportionate amount of uh, unsheath. And so unsheath is, right, it's a basket, essentially, of um, these different LSDs. And the um, composition of unsheath is actually determined by the DAO itself. Um, there are a number of LSDs, and for each LSD, there is sort of a limit on, uh, on how much of the basket can be comprised by that single LSD. Uh, and there's also a, a target amount, uh, a target weight, if you will. Uh, what this does is it essentially routes, you know, new inflows of ETH um, in such a way that the basket actually is, you know, comprised of maybe 10% of LSD A or 5% of LSD B. Um, it sort of incentivizes deposits of a certain LSD. Um, and yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And say, for example, one of the newer LSDs that you guys have recently onboarded, if you're seeing that um, weight limit be consistently reached, is that, is that when someone's going to start going to the down and say, look, we should be looking to, seems to be a lot of demand for this specific asset in, in the basket. Is this when you kind of take it to a DAO vote and then you decide to kind of up that range? Is so? Has anything like that happened as of yet, or do you think that's, or do you foresee that's how it will initially play out? Play out sorry. Yeah. So there's two questions uh, in there. Let me let me first answer the first one. Uh, does you're basically asking, uh, do we reach the target weight like very quickly when a new asset is added? Uh, yes, this has been the case with Swell. Um, Swell actually reached their 5% target weight uh, very quickly. Um, it came not from a new deposit, but actually an arbitrage transaction. Basically what happened was um, Swell trades slightly under peg. Um, we accept um, Swell on the basis of its peg uh, within our VD AMM. So essentially, there was a uh, small arbitrage that could be obtained by um, uh, basically purchasing uh, Swell ETH at a discount and selling it into the VD AMM um, for another LSD that I guess trades closer to PEG. Uh, and that you know, basically made us fill up with uh, approximately 1,000 Swell ETH. Um, and so now we're at the, we're at the target weight. Um, so we, we're not entirely dependent on sort of new inflows to too quickly mm -hmm. reach this target weight. So yeah, it, it does, it does sometimes happen instantaneously provided, um, the underlying LSD trades at somewhat of a discount. Uh, and there are LSDs in the basket that trade at either a premium or less of a discount. Uh, when that discrepancy exists, it fills up pretty quickly. In the absence of that, it is currently dependent on um, uh, basically rebalancing by way of trading activity. Although uh, in the near future, we will have sort of automatic rebalancing at a certain given interval. Um, this is possible now. It wasn't possible before because major uh, LSDs have now enabled withdrawals. So mm -hmm. since withdrawals are you know possible, 
you know, we, you can sort of mass redeem LSD A into, you know, LSD B, B such that you have um, sort of rebalanced the basket uh, towards the target weights of Unsheath. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, and and prior to Shanghai and withdrawals, what the limiting factor there would have been effectively depth of liquidity and main, maintaining peg just by pure market forces. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you um, basically, if you wanted to rebalance, you would have to swap, and if you swap, there's always slippage, right? Mm. So the whole idea of rebalancing wouldn't even be possible without withdrawals mm -hmm. because if you're constantly swapping you're just constantly getting bled out by slippage yeah so what what model is the the internal mm based on or is it kind of just completely bespoke or is it anything that's it's, it's likened to that's on the market yeah so it is it is bespoke but um the invariant is uh pretty much the metastable constant sum invariant which basically treats assets as um like one-to-one -one. now mm -hmm. the lsds aren't technically one-to-one -one. they're one-to-one -one on the basis of their underlying stake e right um basically you could think of them as a erc4626 you know yield bearing mm -hmm. token uh, i have token uh a which is you know worth 1.07 ETH. I have token B, which is worth 1.04 ETH, and so the price um, of A to B is just 1.07, you know, over 1.04. That, that that's essentially what the constant sum uh, invariant is. Um, so there there are a couple of big benefits here, which is you can trade uh, you can trade large size without basically having to worry about slippage. Um, however, this pool is subject to adverse selection um, in the event that there is a DPEG. And this is sort of the, the LP exposure here is mitigated by the fact that there exists a weight cap. So if there's a new risky LSD added and there's a, a DPEG, the maximum loss to an LP is 5%, right? Assuming mm. that uh, asset completely goes to zero. So the unsheath VDAMM then is basically um, making a bet on the mean reversion of the distance from peg of all the underlying assets. Uh, it's essentially shorting the you know the LSD price volatility uh, on the assumption that it's going to eventually revert to peg, right? And it is constantly paid um, to take on this risk um, and the maximum downside is sort of limited in a way that um, existing AMMs don't allow, right? Existing AMMs mm -hmm. don't have this type of weight cap. And also uh, you can arbitrarily add and remove uh, assets subject to time lock delay. Um, but this is also unique because uh, no AMM really sort of lets you change uh, the assets within the LP once the LP has been instantiated. Nice, that's that's super impressive. Um, so if we play this out like long term on a on an optimistic path, so does in in your opinion the mood in the camp does does Unsheath become the trading destination for anyone who's looking to 
trading out of LSDs, similar to how um, people would naturally go to Curve for stablecoins. Obviously, they can use LSDs on, on Curve as well, but that comes with a lot of, it's quite capital intensive if you want to kind of boot, bootstrap that. Um, so how, how do you guys kind of think about that? Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, yeah. So, so if we play out the way that the in, like the internal AMM is is kind of going in the direction that it's going in, do you do you foresee that there's a time where um, the unchief AMM is the is the primary destination for people who want to trade in and out of specific um, LSDs, as as people would typically revert to Curve if they were going to swap uh, specific stablecoins for other stablecoins? Yeah, I think. Uh... It's it's definitely possible. Uh, let, let's see how how things shake out. Uh, I think compared to Curve, we have um, I think a number of advantages. The first is uh, capital efficiency. If you've got like if you've got four LSDs, right, and you want to trade four LSDs in Curve, and you want a hundred ETH worth of liquidity for these four LSDs, you basically need to have you know, 400 ETH in order to trade all of those LSDs. Um, mm-hmm. So for us, you know, you can have four LSDs, they all trade against the same uh, 100 ETH and uh, there's much less slippage, um, you know, up to the maximum trade size on a, on Cheath. So, you know, the, there there's some differences there. Um, I will say that Curve is really good for just trading one kind of pegged asset. Um, when you have a whole universe of pegged assets, uh, I think the, the, the stable swap AMM doesn't work super well. Uh, in terms of gas costs, so I, I actually um, I contributed to, um, to Curve several years back, so I'm somewhat familiar with Curve. Uh, the more assets you trade in a curve pool, uh, the more gas costs increase. It's basically, um, it's approximately linear to the number of assets traded in the pool. So uh, there's also this gas efficiency concern with um, curve or any other implementation of stable swap. There's a lot of math behind it. Um, you know, and it's not. It's basically just not easy to compute on chain, right? Versus our AMM is just um, mathematically a lot simpler. Um, that being said, uh, I know Yearn is working on something similar, right? Where they're sort of combining Curve to create an unsheath VDAMM-like structure. So it'll be interesting to see um, kind of what they come up with. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's sort of that's sort of my take um, on the differentiation side. Uh, yeah, anything else is sort of in the hands of the market. Yeah, makes sense. So, what? Um, so how do you guys go about deciding and, and onboarding specific projects? Because I think obviously there's been a few recently, and I I know for a fact from speaking to founders, there's going to be so many different liquid staking derivative products that come onto the market soon. It's like, how do you guys kind of forecast who's going to be the right kind of fit and how, how big can 
how variant can the AMM actually get? Like, does it does, does there become a rate limiting amount that you can actually have it within one specific AMM? Do you need to kind of silo them off into different tranches? Like, what? what how does that whole thing play out? Yeah, uh, good question. So, when deciding to onboard a new LSD, that decision is always handled by DAO governance. Um, so what we do, um, as the team does, is we gather information about uh, these new protocols. We, you know, we speak with them and essentially we do due diligence if, uh, you know, projects approach us or, or we approach them. Um, and essentially we make a recommendation based on the proposal template that's available on our governance forums basically describing, you know, why this protocol um, is is good to have, how decentralized it, it would be, any sort of risk concerns, um, you know, whether that has to do with how their validators are set up or whether they're all, like, running the same uh, validator clients, something like that, um, or whether they've had recent slashing. All these things we sort of try to evaluate and, and make a recommendation uh, typically, when a new um, LSD is added, they start with a very low weight uh, within the index. And then over time, uh, those weights can be increased if uh, the, the weight is being you know, reached consistently and if the uh, protocol's validator operations um, sort of remain um, smooth and uninterrupted. So that yeah. yeah, that's sort of how we think about it. Yeah, that's that's nice. And I suppose there's there's got to be additional benefits for like emerging projects as well to help them kind of bootstrap one, just to kind of get their kind of name out there and be associated with all these great products and, and be on, on top of your protocol as well. But what are the kind of liquidity benefits for like emerging LSDs that would could and should be tapping into kind of unsheath? Yeah, uh, it's basically the cheapest liquidity you'll ever be able to get uh, uh, on LSEs, right? So uh, when you're launching a new LSC, um, you have this uphill battle uh, of essentially fighting for mercenary liquidity. And so uh, new uh, projects are almost always forced into this uh, like kamikaze of unsustainable uh, token incentives in an attempt to gather TVL. And then they basically just, you know, frantically sort of try to uh, iterate in hopes that the TVL then doesn't leave um, because they'll either, you know, run out of incentives too quickly uh, or, you know, they will cut incentives uh, too much and essentially uh, the, the, the capital that's in there, it's mercenary, so it's going to leave, right? Yeah. So we I've sort of... How many we, times have we seen that play out? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Um, uh, and so we're, we're giving these projects a way out, um, of, of sort of having to navigate this, uh, you know, this, this walking on a fine line, um, or, you know, falling, falling into this, uh, inflationary pit and you know, crashing and burning. Right. So yeah, that, that's the, the value add for, for new protocols, uh, on the larger and more established protocol side um we're 
going to help them sort of actually achieve profitability. Because if you look at uh, these larger protocols, I'll take Lido as an example. Lido's uh, spend on liquidity incentives um, recently went as high as um, thirty-one uh, million dollars. Actually, a little bit more. But thirty thirty million dollars a month. Thirty million dollars a month is ridiculous. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, yeah it's or it's either six million a month or, or 30 million a month whatever it is it's a lot relative to the the rake of the validator yield that they're taking right and that yeah. fee that they collect well that's you know that fee is going to trend to zero over time right uh because i mean lsds are an extremely competitive business so mm -hmm. in in order for them to basically um you know, become profitable and remain profitable, they have to um, reduce their liquidity spend. And I think to their credit, Lido is already doing this. I think they've done a pretty good job of, of lowering their uh, liquidity subsidy spend, but it's still quite high. And I think the um, capital efficiency and sort of economies of scale uh, of all the LSDs paying for, you know, unsheath, um, liquidity subsidies um, that that is just going to make it a lot easier and accessible to provide cheap liquidity at scale. Yeah, I was speaking to uh, Carvas at Lido. I think he's kind of primarily focused on their net spend of emissions and what they can get in return for that and just trying to bring down the emissions as much as possible and try and increase revenue as much as possible, obviously, and offset that equation. But um, you're saying because of, Shang because of Shanghai and people can immediately redeem, um, you'd expect that their emissions post-Shanghai would and should um, be able to reduce because they wouldn't need to be incentivizing liquidity on Curve and Bunny and other places like this. But um, as I said, they still, they still seem pretty pretty damn high to me so <laughs> i don't know i don't know how that one's gonna play out um do you think it's what do you what do you think kind of think the end game is for these I've, I've asked this question to a few people now i'd love to kind of hear your take on it do you think that there's a point in time where these liquid staking derivatives and maybe like um your own product in and of itself do you think that starts to slowly creep in as people just that holding that asset as as the go-to as opposed to just just native ETH, like seeing quite a lot of BD developments happen where they're trying to get liquid staking derivatives in as a base pair on a DEX or obviously increasingly on money markets. Do you think people naturally progress towards just holding liquid staking derivatives all the ETH? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, if you can earn uh, the risk-free rate of uh, Ether, why would you, why would you not? Uh, you know, people typically deposit, you know, their capital in interest uh, earning savings accounts, checking accounts, you know, at least, you know, in, in a lot of Western countries. And, um, you know, they don't, they don't put cash into their mattress if they don't need to, right? And I think the same <laughs> sort of applies to post-Shanghai staked ETH. Uh, staked ETH should replace ETH um, in most use cases. The only reason you need vanilla ETH is for, like, paying gas, basically. Um, if more ETH was staked, I mean, it'd be better for the security of the Ethereum network as well. Um, but it would also just be a positive sum for all users. Yeah, exactly. I was looking today on um, staking rewards. Um, still in like 
mid to high teens for Eve staking participation. And then you're looking at some less than favorable <laughs> ones. I won't name any names, but they're some of them are up in the mid 70s, like at the very least top 20 L1s hovering around 40% staking participation, some as high as mid 70s. Like, how, how high does this go for ETH? And obviously, you guys benefit massively um, from staking participation uptick. So, um, well, it, how, how are you guys thinking about that? The percentage of ETH that's staked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right now I think we're a little under twenty percent. I don't see why this number shouldn't be, you know, eighty percent or ninety percent or ninety-five percent. Mm-hmm. I think we can, you know, asymptotically a- approach a hundred percent. Yeah, I was I was trying to figure it out like it looked like the average. Well, the top end was coming in at like 70%, but then you're looking at all, all these other projects and it's like, there's literally absolutely nothing to do with <laughs> any of their staking products. And then you just bring into like, Ethereum's got its own full ecosystem with Lido being the top DeFi um, protocol in, in, in the whole ecosystem. And it's like, yeah, people say upwards of 80. It's not off, it's not off the table in, in my opinion. So I'm kind of glad that you're in there. Same camp as me on that. And I suppose you guys just benefit every step of the way, every time that's taken participation and percentage increases, right? Uh, yep. Yep. I mean, that's basically a larger market for uh, for us. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, what's, what's the thinking around L2s for liquid stake contributors? Um, do you, is it... Just to free up um, and get onto more active in emerging chains, more cost prohibitive, um, uncost prohibitive chains. Like, what, what's the thinking around this? Because I'm starting to see a, a large uptick of LSDs going to L2s. And what, what does it, the future look like for Unsheath in the L2 space and all L1s, I suppose? Yeah, omni chain, multi chain expansion is all about just increasing the accessibility of your product. Uh, ETH Layer 1 is. Uh, become somewhat of an expensive chain to use, right? So, um, you know, the more you're on these uh, lower-cost EVM chains and um, Layer 2s, the more sort of users have access to your product. I think that has been the principle behind um, most teams' sort of Omnitrain expansion efforts. Uh, yeah, in, in terms of like bringing stake ETH to these chains. Um, you know, I, I think it's been, um, yeah, like the idea is ETH is still the most traded asset on these chains, right? Um, people like to be able to have the same asset moving between different chains. They Typically, it will also impair the um, the growth or the adoption of a layer two or uh, an EVM chain, if users don't have access to the same protocols they're already mm-hmm. used to using, right? So from that standpoint, it's also quite beneficial for these um, layer twos and these EVM chains to seek out uh, protocols uh, to to launch on them. So it, it's both. Protocols sort of seeking you know, to grow their user base and reach more users, 
And it's also the chains themselves sort of wanting to, you know, bring the users of these protocols over. So it's, I think it's, a, it's part of a symbiotic relationship that I've seen mm -hmm. form in this ecosystem um, over, I would say, the past, uh, like, three or five months, three or four months. It's been, like, um, pretty pretty intense. I've seen uh, a lot of LSD protocols launching on lots of chains. I've also seen lots of, uh, you know, chains, uh, you know, aggressively courting these LSD protocols. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you might push back on this, but how much can you tell me about Unsheathium? <laughs> uh, Unsheathium, uh, nothing great, more great than what's already the out there. <laughs> great name, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So keep keep an eye on that one. We'll try and read read in between the lines of what that could. Um, amount to but um can we get on to uh your, your own native token with with us and just kind of how you guys have set up your own kind of incentives the quality mining campaign how, however you want to call it because it's it's something that i've never seen before and it's like three tiered if i if i've got that correct so there's a portion through balancer there's a portion through sushi and then um some directly staked what what was the kind of idea behind that because i think it's i think it's really impressive it kind of aligns the right kind of user base um and allows those people to get rewarded who are going to stick around and benefit the protocol with regards to the depth of liquidity on, on, on the native token. But I'd love to kind of pick your brain on that because I thought it was really inventive. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm more on the implementation side of things. I don't necessarily handle like uh, the, the liquidity incentive schemes uh, or, or emissions specifically, but uh, yeah, the implementation, um, I can tell you a little bit about uh we wanted to emulate essentially um the new generation of, of ve tokens that uh incentivize the um balancer 8020 lp uh in mm -hmm. addition to just v locking the governance token um why do we do this because there were a couple of projects i think um Balancer and Aura were some of the first that identified there's a little bit of a conflict of uh, interest in terms of both having VE locking and also um, just wanting liquidity for your token. Because the more of your token that gets VE locked, the lower the float is, and thus uh, a secondary consequence of that is like worse liquidity. Right? So mm -hmm. in order to make it so that it is possible to you know, simultaneously have liquidity for the token and have, um, you know, people be able to participate in the governance and not force them to choose between the two. Um, we decided that, you know, this would be something cool to implement. Uh, why is it try token? It's because different chains essentially have different um, DEXs. And mm -hmm. sometimes these DEXs behave differently. Um, sometimes the most popular DEX on a chain is, you know, not what you expect it to be. You know, <laughs> it's a non-standard type of uh, DEX. And so sort of to handle all of these edge cases and, you know, give governance power to, uh, you know, all the users on all the chains, uh, we wanted to make the 
the voting escrow token model um, from from Stargate and Curve a little more flexible. And that's how we extended it to a tri-asset model. Um, basically, that was the motivation. Yeah, that's nice. And uh, what's the what's the max max lockup on for for us? I believe it's one year. Yeah. See, that's tolerable. Um, I mean, scalded so so many times on four year lockups. It's a complete joke. <laughs> that's my own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one year is tolerable, I think. Yeah. Um. So where's uh where does the main kind of a fee capture um revenue for the protocol kind of come from is it from kind of minting redeeming swaps or the above or like what where's where you kind of foreseeing that the main kind of revenue drivers for the protocol are going to come from well right now there isn't revenue but there are fee switches uh that are currently not enabled all of the sort of yields of the protocol uh flow to unsheath holders and that comes, um, in addition to the ETH staking yield, um, it comes from uh, swap fees generated by the VDAMM and redemption fees, uh, which are currently 25 basis points. So basically every time someone exits um, or every time someone executes a swap against the VDAMM liquidity, um, there are fees that um, basically accrue to unsheath in the form of LSDs. So the the fees that are generated, those fees also generate, I guess, staking yield. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Um, so I probably got publicly executed for not asking um, how you guys are getting on after the recent exploit that's happened. And one, I hope you're okay. I checked in checked in with the, the team in Telegram to make sure you, you guys were doing all right. But what is any kind of lessons learned? Like a bit of a post mortem. Like what can you kind of tell us from there? Because um, kind of happened so quickly, right? <laughs> yeah. So the exploit basically happened not due to any sort of smart contract failure or, or vulnerability, but uh, rather a DevOps issue. Uh, what essentially happened was uh, there is a uh, repo that had public visibility that was based off of an internal private repo we had. Uh, and uh, within the internal private repo, um, you know, there, there are some, uh, practices that I, you know, I could only characterize fairly as, uh, as sloppy, right. And the intent was to clean this up prior to making the repo public. Um, and basically a, a, a private key was, um, of, of a deployer was exposed for approximately five to 15 minutes. And there was, a, an attacker who was sort of. I guess watching very closely um, for this precise um, operational mistake, uh, and so when this malicious individual obtained the private key, they weren't able to access any user funds, but they were able to uh, withdraw some of the like protocols tokens uh, and and liquidity, uh, and essentially abscond with with that um now the attacker was you know well the attacker was found and we got them to return the um, ownership of all the contracts so that we wouldn't have to redeploy our farms but um yeah they took 
I think what amounts to less than like a basis point of the treasury. So all things considered, uh, like it's so the negotiations with that are being handled by um, like someone who's qualified to do that. Uh, but the net result was sort of nothing for for users, mm-hmm. right? The the form rewards are being replenished uh, from team allocation, uh, and we're revamping our our DevOps procedures so that you know this kind of thing um, you know doesn't happen again. So the the post mortem on that is, is coming out shortly. Um, but I think we, we handled it well. And I think that, um, if anything, it improved team morale after the fact, um, sort of given, given how well we were able to handle it. Uh, it is just at the end of the day, like another day in crypto, these things happen. Um, and it, it proves out our security model, um, and the flexibility that we designed, uh, only basically only put our tokens at risk, not the the users' funds, uh, and it was a nominal amount of our even our tokens that we lost. So uh, I think, yeah, it, it was it, ultimately like it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I have to say from the outside looking in as well, I think it was happening just as I, I was kind of waking up. Um, you guys handled it exceptionally like me and our kind of internal marketing guy always laugh at the state of marketing and communications when shit hits the fans like with with protocols particularly in this space and um i think you guys handled it extremely well the communications were excellent all on point it was constant updates in discord um no one was getting kind of muted or like or any of that bullshit that usually happens so um like kudos to that because it's it's very rare and it shouldn't be in a, in this space when it's handling so much capital that effective communications are carried out during times when, as I say, shit hits the fan. Um, so yeah, kudos on that one. It was, um, it was excellently uh, executed on your behalf, I think. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see. It's refreshing. It's nice to see a team get their shit together, to be fair. <laughs> so many people are just... They're, they're great um, punting out like, vanity metric KPIs across their socials, and as soon as anything bad happens, they're nowhere to be seen or just kind of mute the chat and stuff. So it was, uh, as I say, quite refreshing. But um, yes, a, a... it's not our first rodeo. <laughs> on a more positive note, is there anything you, you guys want the kind of audience to be aware of that's coming up? Any, like media kind of roadmap points or kind of key catalysts or even if not um where do, where do you want people to be funneled towards is it in discord twitter telegram like where, where can they find you yeah join our discord um follow me on twitter yeah in terms of uh what's next for the protocol we've got a lot of exciting stuff in the pipeline i think we just um wrapped up uh, the the last bit of our of our Arbitrum expansion, or it's coming later this week. Um, we'll have our, our full Arbitrum deployment available. Um, beyond that, we have our audit report coming out and um, the new version of the VDAMM with uh, a bunch of really cool optimizations is, um, is coming shortly. Uh, and we expect basically to be able to, to bring down um, gas costs on, on all sides quite significantly. Um, we are also uh, internally working on um, expanding the VDAMM to provide additional um, functionalities, which translate to, I guess, 
additional sources of key capture. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that I think we're doing more on the R&D side. So you probably won't hear anything about that for maybe like a month or two. But that's cooking. And we are um, trying to grow our dev team pretty aggressively. Uh, to it, we are sponsoring uh, ETH Global Waterloo, which is coming up later this month. Uh, so nice. we want to invite um, DeFi devs, uh, old and new, to you know to come and build an unsheath. Uh, maybe maybe earn some prizes. Maybe just uh, you know build something, build the next new LSD DeFi primitive. Um, yeah, ETH Waterloo is, is again. It's gonna be later this month, and it's the it's basically the birthplace of Ethereum. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, Vitalik dropped out of, of Waterloo, and Waterloo is basically filled to the brim with Ethereum devs. So <laughs> um, yeah, just want to advertise that um, for for any aspiring devs. Um, yeah. Uh, I think in terms of omni-chain expansion, the next one we have our eyes on is uh, is optimism. But yeah, I think we have some protocol engineering stuff uh, for the next couple of weeks before I think we're able to, you know, commit to another uh, omni-chain expansion. Yeah, that's that's what our outlook is right now. Um, Yeah, yeah, so there you have it. <laughs> pretty much it. That's that's pretty modest. It sounds like you guys have got a lot going on there. <laughs> so, um, Altair, thank you very much for joining me, and um, I really appreciate you taking the time out. As I say, I can only imagine how busy you guys are, particularly with everything you said you got going up. So, um, if there's anything you need from us in the meantime, please just just give us a shout, just give us a message in in Telegram. We're always happy to help. And uh, yeah, thanks again, and thanks everyone for listening. Um, see you soon.